Me, 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 but also you. <laughs> the Pharaoh fast forwards his favorite foreign film. Powder donut. <clears throat> okay, what's my line? Uh, the only line I see here on the script is get options based on your budget with the name and price tool from Progressive. Oh man, that's a tongue twister, huh? I'm sorry, I'm gonna need a few more minutes. <clears throat> bulbous Walrus, the Bulbous Walrus. The Name Your Price tool, only from Progressive. The owl ran afoul of the comatose Coxswain. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome to Accelerate Your Business Growth with your host, Diane Helbig. Diane is a leading small business development and leadership coach, author, and speaker who is passionate about sharing valuable ideas, tips, and techniques with business professionals worldwide. Diane brings you the world's experts and gurus in all things business, whether it's sales, structure, social media, planning, or plateauing, guests bring their expertise and energy to each episode. When growing your business is your focus, Accelerate Your Business Growth is the show to listen to. Got a topic or guest suggestion? Let Diane know. The goal is to make sure you have the information you need to move your business forward. Thanks for joining us. Settle in and enjoy. Hi, everybody. Thank you so much for joining me. Today's podcast is sponsored by Audible.com. Audible.com is a leading provider of spoken audio entertainment and information. Listen to audiobooks whenever and wherever you want. Get a free book when you sign up for a 30-day free trial at audibletrial.com slash businessgrowth. Accelerate Your Business Growth podcast uh, continues to gain recognition that recognition as a great resource for small business owners, sales professionals, business leaders. Um, Every time I turn around, we are on another list of uh, great podcasts to listen to. And I'm totally grateful for that. I am also grateful for the guests who join me to have conversations where they share their expertise, because I know that's why this podcast is making those lists. Uh, and today is no different. Today, my guest is Jody Daniels. Jody is the founder and CEO of Red Clover Advisors, a boutique privacy consulting agency. Jody works with businesses in every industry to help them better understand and stay compliant with ever changing regulations in privacy, customer data collection and use, digital governance, online data strategy, and much more. Jody understands the challenges of building and managing a business or brand, and when it comes to compliance, quote, you don't know what you don't know, end quote. So she works to simplify privacy laws so that you can get back to doing what you love. Thanks so much for joining me today, Jody. Thank you for having me. It's an honor to be here. Well, I am thrilled to have you here. This is a subject we have really not talked about, and I I think it's one that sort of has heightened concern these days with all of these things going on with different countries and all of these websites and social programs and data breaches. It seems like daily something is uh, coming at us. 
So I'd actually like to start with a couple of um, things that I, I think we need an explanation of, and that is GDPR and CCPA. Can you explain what those are, please? Absolutely. My favorite acronyms. I love decoding acronyms. So <laughs> GDPR is the General Data Protection Regulation. It is the EU's privacy law that went into effect May 25th, 2018. So it just celebrated its first year. I like to say we're in its toddler stage. Uh, but really, it's, it's a global privacy law because it affects companies of all sizes. You can be a solopreneur, solo blogger. If you have a global audience, you're in scope. Um, and essentially, there's a long list of very detailed requirements that GDPR has. At its heart, it's all about informing the individual. Uh, and GDPR uses fancy terms like data subject. I like to use the word individual. Uh, but <laughs> it's all about informing the person that you're collecting what type of data, how you're using it, what you're doing with it, how long you store it for. It also basically requires the companies to think in advance before they can use the data. And what I mean by that is literally there are what's called a lawful basis, like think consent. I opt in to get an email. That's consent. That's a lawful basis. One of the six. There's six of them. And literally for every kind of way you might process personal data, you have to fall into one of those buckets. So it requires companies to think about it first. And if you don't fall in a bucket, you can't use it. And then it, it um, offers a variety of what they call individual rights, um, fancy word, data subject, access request. I like individual rights. And it means I can ask you to delete my data. I can ask you to stop processing my data. I can ask you to opt out. I can ask you to correct it. I can do all kinds. There's a variety of rights that I'm, I'm now allowed to have as an EU resident underneath GDPR. And so it's this kind of big overarching privacy regulation with all types of very detailed documentation requirements. Um, and, and as I said, like a lot of fine details, but at its core, that's what it's really about. Again, with no minimum. The CCPA is the California Consumer Privacy Act. It will be effective January 1st, 2020. And it was passed kind of on the heels of Facebook Cambridge Analytica last year. So it passed June 2018, just honestly a month after GDPR went in effect. Uh, and CCPA is not nearly as comprehensive as GDPR, but it is the most progressive state privacy law that we have and takes some of the concepts from GDPR like the individual rights part. CCPA is very heavy also on notice, tell me what it is that you're doing and giving me a lot of individual rights. But unlike GDPR, I kind of can still do what I want within reason and within the law, but I, as long as I tell you about it and I honor any of the individual rights. That is the high level oh. of GDPR and CCPA. Uh, which I, I totally appreciate. And I feel like that's got to be pretty overwhelming for a very small business or a solopreneur to feel like th they have to make sure they're within those boundaries. 
um, is there it, so it, uh, like I'm a solopreneur. I'll just use myself as an example. I'm a solopreneur. Are there uh, easy to follow guidelines so that I can check those boxes? Yes and no. Kind of depends on where you search for them. Um, so for GDPR, um, it is a huge, overwhelming, complex law. Absolutely. And there's a variety of, of people, you know, consultants, attorneys, firms, lots of uh, people who have tried to kind of simplify it, distill it down to the core of what someone needs to know. And actually, in the United States, we have attorney generals, we have insurance commissioners. In Europe, there's, I, I use those as examples because in Europe, there's what's called the data protection authority uh, the data regulators. And that's kind of like the same thing. If you had an insurance problem here, you'd go to the insurance commissioner. If you had a data privacy issue, you'd go to the data protection people. In the United Kingdom, in the UK, their data protection re um, regulatory office is called the ICO. And they have an amazing website with a lot of really awesome resources for small businesses. Um, you know, if you didn't find one from the many other people that are out there that, that can offer it to you. What I would say is as a smaller business, if we kind of think about what this whole law is meant to be about, it's meant to be honoring and treating the individual literally as an individual. And it's all about, it's their data. So if we think about, you have someone probably who comes to your website, so you have a Facebook pixel maybe, if you retarget, you have a Google Analytics or some other kind of analytics pixel. There's probably some email marketing. Maybe there's like an invoicing system. And, and where I tell people to start is you start at the, kind of literally just make a list. Take a, a piece of paper, Excel sheet, Google sheet, and make a list of all the data you have and all the tools that it's in, why you use it, where it might go. Do you share it between people, between tools? You might have contractors or, or other people who might assist. And that starts to kind of build the basis of what you need to be worried about, which is, did I tell people what it is that I'm doing? Now you can actually craft or hire someone to craft a privacy notice for you. If Jody came along and said, I want you to delete my data, you would now know what to do because you, you would have this list of, of where to go to be able to do that. So the starting point is really the data inventory piece. And the best advice I can give is to just, just start, just kind of keep a laundry list. And then as the business evolves and change, you go back to the list and you, you kind of update it and, and you'll always have an idea of where your data is and what you have to be worried about. Okay, so that, that's so interesting because I was thinking before you explained all that, I was thinking, so what if there's a company that doesn't use people's data, but that sounds to me like everybody is using people's data in some fashion. Exactly. And what's important about both of these laws is it expands the definition of personal data. We're used to thinking of data, especially in the United States, from a data breach perspective. And there's 50 different data breach laws. Uh, each state has their own. And the definition is very specific. But when it comes to privacy, it's not only about a data breach. It's about, did you... Did you share my information for some marketing purpose? And it's the use and collection of what you're doing. Think about all the magazines you get at home. 
Well, you get them not only because you signed up for them, but because someone shared your information and they thought, gosh, Diane would really like this kind of information or Jody would really like that kind of magazine. So the, the definition of personal data has expanded to include all the online identifiers like cookies and pixels and IP address and browsing history. California extends it to household and device data. And then also things like religious views, um, philosophical views, political views, um, ethnicity, race, all types of other data points, passport, visa. I mean, there's like a huge long list uh, that you could ever imagine. So when you start to think about all that kind of data, it's hard to imagine a business doesn't have personal data. Now, what might be different is how much. So one company might have a very small amount compared to another company. And it's not only the size of the business that really matters. I've worked with two-person startups before that had much more sensitive data than some $100 million companies I've worked with. It's really yeah. about the data you have as opposed to you know, volume of company or size of company. Okay, so, so it's about the data you have and how you're using it. Is that? Yes. Okay. It's all about the data you have and how you're using it. So for example, if someone listening on the show just has name and email, you just have a basic marketing list um, and maybe you sell something so you're gonna have an invoice. That's gonna be very different compared to perhaps a solopreneur who might be a health coach or um, in the health business and asks all kinds of detailed questions about your health. That person, if they're not going through insurance in the United States, is, does not have to comply with HIPAA. Um, HIPAA is a, a very unique law, but most people think health data equals HIPAA. It might right. be a nice to have, but not, not always. So imagine this health coach is collecting you know, all types of health information and you're sharing all your, your woes because you're desperate for some help. Well, what is that person stored on? Do they store it on their not secured website and anyone has access to it? Do they work with 10 contractors? Everyone can read it, right? That's sort of the privacy part is, well, what's happening with this information? Do I share it? Cause I want this awesome affiliate deal with you know, some like weight watching company. There's all kinds of interesting scenarios, not saying someone would do that, but that's yeah. kind of the idea of privacy. And that person would have a lot more to contend and think about than the person who might just have a name and an email. There's a lot less to think about in that scenario. Got it. Okay. And, and why does a business owner need to care about this? Well, I have lots of reasons. Um, the, the first is where there are laws like GDPR, CCPA, and there's a variety of other laws out there as well. I think most people want to be good stewards. They want to comply with laws. They don't generally wake up and say, well, I like this law, so I'll choose to comply with that one as opposed to this <laughs> other one over here I don't like as much. You know, we try and, like if this is what it is, we, we try and do our, our, our best to be able to comply. So that's kind of the, the legal compliance reason. But above that, to me, is really the important reason. And that's because our customers, whether you're B2C or B2B, care about this. More than two-thirds of Americans question how data is used to advertise to them. They don't feel comfortable with how companies are managing their data. Uh, also, two-thirds of small businesses are known to, to be more prone to have a data breach. 
And I, I always hear about small businesses saying, well, I'm so small, no one's going to find me. That's actually exactly why people find you because the bigger companies have more armor around them and make it a little harder to get to the data. So the bad actors like to go actually to small companies. If I go back to that customer piece from, you know, if you kind of just think about what's happening today with Facebook and social media and the sharing of data and all the targeting that's happening. And I kind of, I often refer to like digital stalking and I used to do that. I, I created a, a behaviorally targeted program at auto trader before Facebook ads was even here. So I stalked you for cars. Totally get it. <laughs> it's awesome from a business point of view, but now put your consumer hat on. If someone followed you around in your everyday physical world, you would say, why are you following me? Why are you noting every single thing I'm ever doing? But that's what we do in the online world and in the digital world. So our customers are getting to, to question this. They're not feeling as warm and fuzzy and they want to trust you when they hand you data and they, they picked you to do business with. Part of doing business together is making sure that their data is safe and not just from the security point of view that I just shared, but also that you're going to do the right thing by it. They're not going to be surprised. And, and you've explained to them what you're doing with data. Because after all, it's, it's their data and sometimes it's really sensitive. It's about building trust. Yeah, boy, I totally get that. That, that it's, it's, it's huge. And the more uh, it's in the spotlight, the more things happen, the, the I would imagine the bigger issue it becomes for consumers. Exactly. Uh, you know, from I'm seeing a fair number of companies, especially those that are trying to work with some of the larger companies, what's happening is there'll be like a vendor process. You know, I'm doing a home construction project. So I, I'm vetting all my different vendors. Well, you might do the same in a business context. So in these vendor kind of diligence, they're demanding that if you're going to have personal data as part of whatever service you're offering, that you're going to comply with these privacy laws and just you know, do right, do the right thing, only use it for your purpose and things like that. So if you can't comply with that, you're going to lose the business. You're going to lose the sale. M&A activity, investor activity is also starting to put privacy and security up at the top. So if you're looking for investment dollars, if you're looking to grow your business and exit, if you're looking for anything like that, you might also run into some stumbling blocks if you haven't put the right privacy infrastructure in place. And it, it doesn't have to be really hard and cumbersome. It, it's, it just needs a little bit of thought. Just like we think about how many people do we need, how much is something going to cost, we also want to think about the privacy and security part. You want to think of it first as opposed to never or way down at the very last minute. Right. Okay. I'm going to take a quick sponsor break and then I have some more questions for you about this. Sounds great. Accelerate Your Business Growth Podcast is happy to be sponsored by Audible.com. Audible.com is a leading provider of spoken digital audio entertainment and information. They have over 150,000 titles to choose from and you can listen to them on any device, including whatever you're hearing us on right now. And if you sign up at our link, which is audibletrial.com slash businessgrowth, you get one free audiobook and a one-month trial of the service. Some examples of books you can listen to on audible.com are 
Do Business Better by Damian Mason, and Breathe to Succeed by Sandy Abrams. So visit audibletrial.com slash businessgrowth, explore the books that are of interest to you, and receive one free audiobook when you sign up for the trial. Today we're speaking with Jody Daniels about helping businesses build customer loyalty and trust through customized privacy programs. Okay. Is there some kind of enforcement that goes on with this and are there fines attached to it? There are. So in GDPR land, the, the big headline is the fines can be up to 4% of global revenue. Now, the truth is we haven't seen, except once, I think, a fine that has met the 4% of global revenue. They really want businesses to do the right thing. Sometimes there's been warnings. Uh, what's made some big headlines was the big Marriott Starwood breach that came in at 99 million pounds. Big British Airways, they had a big data breach. It came in like 130 pound, million pounds or something like that. So there's definitely big fines that can come. And the, the people who regulate are those data protection authorities, those regulators in the EU. There's kind of one per country. And in some countries, there's even more than one. But additionally, they're not just fine. So I had shared at the beginning, I have a variety of individual rights. Um, so if a customer comes to you and they say, I want to delete your data, you ignore them. You don't know what this is all about. They could go to the data regula um, regulatory authority and file a complaint. Or maybe they don't like what you're doing and they think that you're violating in some form or fashion. They could also file a complaint. And then that authority might come down and investigate and either you show them everything is, is hunky-dory and, and life is grand, or there might be you know, some type of issue and they, they kind of work through, through that. So you have, again, kind of that, and, and then of course you have just, what are the customers seeing? Those are pretty familiar now. They're pretty savvy. They're expecting to see that cookie notice and banner. They're expecting to see the privacy notice. They're expecting when they're entering information on the site, that you're talking about privacy and why you need that information. So companies that don't do that are a bit of like a red flag. And so you might even lose customers that way. Under CCPA, that will be effective in January, there are some fines. It's kind of $2,500 to $7,500 per record per infraction, just sort of depends on the, the situation. And then there's some data breach fines that go along with it, meaning, um, there's an individual private right of action. So kind of think potential for class action lawsuits. If there was a data breach, if it met that definition and the company was found to be negligent. So meaning you didn't do anything that you really should have been doing. You just ignored it all. Imagine a company that might have a patch that it knew about for months and didn't do anything with it. Uh, we've never heard of that type of data <laughs> breach before. Um, ha ha. Right, that might be found to be negligent. You knew you chose not to do something and look at the consequences. Um, that particular company might have also just endured a fine from the Federal Trade Commission of $575 million. So there are definitely fines that can come from the state level. It can come from the Federal Trade Commission. And as I always like to say, it's also that public, that PR, you know, negative press. We all want to be in the press for all the amazing things you're doing, right? Your podcast is growing. It's providing amazing value. You're on a list for all the wonderful uh, advice and value you're providing to listeners. You don't want to be in the news for a data breach. 
right? You want right. to spend your efforts growing your business. And that's what it's all about. If the prevention you put at the beginning to establish those strong protocols and really create the trust with your customers, then you won't have to worry about these types of things. And you won't also have to worry about kind of the negative PR that might come along with it or loss of customers. We, we definitely, there's clearly an impact of revenue and I've seen it where clients have lost because they're not able to meet the demands of the other side with their privacy and security program. Right. And I want to make sure that I'm understanding this right. And so the listeners are understanding it, that, that for me, it feels like there's uh, multiple issues with privacy. There's ensuring that you are doing everything possible to not get hacked, to, to not put people's data in jeopardy, and also that you are transparent about what you as a company are doing with people's data. That's right. And then, so I would, I would add, um, from a security standpoint, it's not foolproof. And, and I, I think most understand that, but there's a difference of doing nothing to yeah. something. And every business differs. If you're a business that is small and you're using a lot of cloud-based tools, you know, maybe you're using an email service provider, an e-commerce platform, right? There's oodles of e-commerce tools out there. You want to do your diligence a little bit and understand what, what are they doing with security? But you may not have your own servers. You might, you might just have a laptop. Well, is your laptop encrypted? Are you sharing, do you have contractors or, or other employees that have access to personal data? How, how do they access it? Do you use the password uh, program? Do you just share your password? Do you, have you never changed your password in the last five years? So there's a lot of different hygiene that you can do on your own even if you aren't necessarily a business that needs firewalls and network security and things like that, many are, are in this sort of digital nomad land and that's fine. There's still some, some basic security measures that you could take and imagine it's your own personal data. What would you want to do to protect your own data and treat your customers like that? Because hopefully you answered that you want to protect it. Um, right. <laughs> <laughs> And, and the other part that you mentioned is being transparent. And that's really what it's about. It's, it's telling and having an honest conversation with your customers. Hey, thanks for, for um, working with us. This is the data that we need from you. This is why we use it. This is how we use it. This is what you can expect from us. If you sell it, you say you sell it. If you share it with three other companies, you say we share it with these types of service providers. And then you make sure that that's what you're doing. And Many of these laws go above and beyond that, where they have some specific requirements for choice. But what I always say, so let's say someone like Jody from Georgia sends in a message to a company, I want to delete my data. If the company doesn't have to, by law, delete my data, what will the answer be? Will it say, well, I'm so sorry, you're in Georgia, we don't have to adhere to any law for you, sorry. How will that resonate with me, the customer? I might be kind of mad at you and I right. might not really want to do business with you anymore. So while there are these laws that we, we want to stay and understand and learn what we have to do, it kind of just goes back to a little bit of that. How am I treating the customer and, and what do they expect? What have I communicated to them and what will create a strong relationship? 
Yeah, which is so important, and I'm so glad we're having this conversation because I am confident that most people are have not made this connection, um, and and really need to be thinking about this because it's, it's here to yeah, stay. It make a difference. It, it's here to stay, and in the United States, we really do take a very different approach to privacy compared to the EU and many other countries. It's still a very business friendly environment here. But that doesn't mean there's kind of like the gray line, I like to call it, and where is okay to cross. So if there's no law that says you can't do something, that doesn't always mean that you should in the sense of what what will your customers say? And I call it like the scratch your head test. If your customer is going to scratch their head and say, why did I just get that message? I'm not going to open it. I'm not going to click on your banner. I'm going to throw your mailer in the trash. Now, we all understand that not every email is going to be opened and not every ad is going to be clicked on and every, you know, there's a certain percentage that we all just accept. But what you don't want to do is make them kind of question and feel violated. There's just a massive difference of saying, it's not relevant to me. I'm going to ignore you. I'm not mad at you versus I don't like how you did that. I'm, I'm not sure about how I feel about that. How did you get my information? That's a little creepy. I don't like it. You don't want to evoke that emotion in your customer because now you've just lost them forever. Right. Right. So um, are there other states other than California that, that have these or are enacting privacy laws? So at a state level, California is the one that has been approved on the books. There's one in Maine that did get passed recently, and um, it's very narrow, though. It applies really only to ISPs, Internet Service Providers. And then there's a new one in Nevada. And one piece we haven't talked about with California, and it applies to Nevada, is selling of data. Now, most people think Selling. Okay, so you're going to give me a dollar for something, I give you it in this in return. The definition of sale under California, and Nevada is even a little bit more narrow, is it can include sharing, disclosing, disseminating for other valuable consideration, which means a lot of the ad tech industry and, and many other areas are kind of trying to figure out could that also mean the sale of data? So it's kind of a complicated question, and I just sort of want to to put it out there as this idea that the sale of data is a really big component to these privacy laws and the future of these privacy laws. Those are the ones that are approved and, and finalized. There are about nine plus other states that have privacy laws on the docket for consideration. We had Washington State and New York State have them on the docket and then ultimately didn't pass this current legislative season. I think you'll continue to see more and more privacy laws kind of come. Then you have the big question, will there be a federal privacy law? That's a whole interesting conversation we could have. I think we need that one over wine. Um, So, and then you have the federal privacy laws overall, like we're all familiar with HIPAA, Uh, those in the financial services industry or when you get your credit card or open a bank account, you get that standard privacy notice. That's for the financial uh, services and and financial regulatory industries. So there's, we're very sectoral. Uh, We're all familiar probably with the email laws, right? You have to make sure you have the right footer and I can opt out. There's some texting laws. So there's 
like a law for almost every individual thing. In the United States, we're very reactionary. There's a problem, a technology, we respond, or an industry and a problem, and we respond. California is trying to take a bit of a more holistic approach. Okay. Okay. Is this, um, this is sort of a two-part question. Is managing privacy something that, a, that is an ongoing activity or is it something that a company sets up and then periodically checks in on to make sure they're staying current with whatever the laws are? And the second part of that question is sort of regardless, but let's say if you say, well, it's really an ongoing activity, how does a really small business manage that? So it really is an ongoing activity. So what you need to do first is that data inventory that I've talked about. You have to understand what it is that you're even doing regarding personal data. Because you, you can't create a privacy notice if you don't know what you have. You can't honor someone's request when they say delete my data. You don't even know where to delete it from. So you have to do that. And that's a bit, once you get that data inventory, you create your notice, you create your policies, you kind of set up your foundation. It's like building a house. You have your strong foundation, you get all your materials, then you start building. So now you're at a great place. You do have to maintain it. And the way you update that is at least once a year for a really small business, you should review your privacy notice. Does it still make sense? Are, has something changed? Do you, do you even like how you wrote it? Do you want to change it? Um, so you should do that at least on an annual basis. But if you're a growing small company and you're continuously changing things, then I would say that data inventory that I was talking about, you make that just a part of your process all the time. You go and get a new tool, you add, you, know, you probably add you know, the username and password and maybe you bookmark it, you go and remember to add it to your data sheet. And you, you kind of do that each time. If you're a small business that's creating new technology, new tools, uh, new sheets, new, new ways of, it, collecting information, you're probably, maybe you have wireframes along the way, or maybe you have a project manager. Um, you kind of think about privacy along the same, the same way. You might be thinking, well, how much does it cost? Uh, do I need a contract for that? Who's gonna do it? You also kind of think, you just start adding in the privacy piece, just naturally to the conversation. Cause we're all, I think, so used to thinking cost, contract people. Now we just kind of want to add in the, should I do this? Does this make sense? What's, what's the end value going to be? And if you kind of tie it to that value piece in the marketing side, right, it's all about creating that relationship. I think then it's not so much as this burden, but just naturally tied to your values as a business with what you're trying to achieve to your customer. And when I find when clients look at it that way, it's less of this, Ugh, I have to do this privacy thing and more just, no, this makes perfect sense. I want to make sure it's going to work for my customers. And then you right. come back to kind of the documentation requirements. And if you keep up with the data inventory, then, and you just set up some type of regular cadence for the other parts of your business, then it naturally falls into place. And again, it just, it depends a little bit. I hate to always say the word depends, but it truly does because some businesses are just much smaller in the sense of 
their, their chemistry, their makeup of what they're even working with compared to a different small business that might be working with 10 different systems and has a technology tool and is just very different. Okay. I want to um, like touch on an example and, and have you um, talk about how privacy is impacted. So if I use um, a cloud-based billing software, then the data that I'm collecting is also going to them. Yes. Right? Yep. Okay. So that's something that I should disclose so that people know the data that I collect, where, where it's potentially living. Is that right? Um, yes. You don't have to disclose necessarily each individual vendor in your privacy okay. list. I mean, you, you know, think of a large company as 10,000. That would be really huge. So, but what you do need to do is kind of disclose the types of vendors that it's going to. And I would say, let's imagine you are global. So GDPR applies to you in this example. You yeah. would want to go to that billing software company and you'd want to ensure that they are GDPR compliant. And they, many of them have literally a page that says GDPR these days, GDPR commitment, GDPR, FAQ, and there it'll answer your questions. And there also is sometimes an extra, or there should be a bit of an extra addendum to the, the regular terms and services that you've signed on to, to work with them. When you see oh, that, okay. say you signed on to that billing software and you see that they're doing all the right things from a GDPR point of view. Um, and for example, one of them is the ability for your data to move across borders. If you have a customer in France and the client, the, the company billing software is located in the United States, GDPR says you have to meet a variety of criteria to literally process the data in the United States because it just came from France now to the United States. So the cloud-based vendor has likely done some things to allow that to happen. And it would say that on its GDPR page. And that, that would be a signal to you that says, oh great, they've taken care of that for me. I see. If I'm, if I'm Jody Billing and I just started today and I don't know anything and you want to sign up with me and I don't have a GDPR page and I don't talk about privacy and I don't talk about the movement of data or how, I, how I'll let you um, manage any of your contacts in case you need to from an individual rights perspective, you probably don't want to work with me. Wow. You want to pick okay. someone, you want to pick a different vendor that's going to take this seriously. Got it. Okay. And there's plenty that have. It's just a right. matter of doing a little bit of that research to find the ones that have. And then the, since we're talking about tools, especially on the marketing ones where there really is some extra to-dos and we've all probably seen them with being able to consent into an email. A lot of those have very special GDPR settings that you want to go into them and kind of turn on and make sure you're familiar how to use them. 
Oh, okay. That's interesting. Yep, like MailChimp has one, um, ConvertKit, I mean, they all almost have them. They're just, they built them all a little bit different. I see. Okay. So, so I like this a lot because it feels like there's structure to it. So first you do the analysis of what data are you collecting? What are you doing with it? And then it sounds like if there are external resources and tools that you are using in your business, which ones are what, you know, like what data is going where and yeah. then check with them to make sure they're covered. They've got, systems in place yes and right and and have these policies on your website detailing what you're doing with data and then if someone asks you to delete theirs you got to do it right now and I would add when you go so let's use the billing software as an example when you go to the billing company's website you find their GDPR page it meets all the boxes it says you can move data across the uh, across borders, they take it seriously, here's how you can honor individual rights, and you feel good about it. That doesn't mean you as a company are done. It just means your vendor is done. You still have to make your own privacy notice and your own method for fielding Jody wants to delete her data or Jody wants to opt out of her data. I think sometimes small businesses, really any business, but I, I do find especially with the smaller businesses, they find their vendors, their vendor says that they're compliant, and then they think, oh, good, I'm done. That's all I have to do. Right. But yeah, you're not. I can see that, that just means okay. you see, like your vendor has done their job. Now you have to do your job. Okay. Boy, that's huge. It is an important piece, yes. Uh, <laughs> it's, all, it's kind of like think about you go and hire someone, and, you know, it's, oh, well, that's their problem. But it's kind of ultimately your problem because you hired them. It's, yeah. the same, it's the same here. It's your job to make sure that any personal data you give to this other vendor that they're going to do the right thing by it. Would we want the billing data to go take all that data and use it for themselves? As an example, that's privacy. No. Right. That's not, that, you can't go use that. I just put it in there because you said that was a really nice service you were going to offer me. But I didn't say you could go use that data. Uh, and so it's my job to make sure that that's okay. And then I check that box. Great. That vendor is going to do what I need them to do. I can check that. Now I move on to my responsibilities, which might be in my privacy notice, we use a service provider for our billing purposes, blah, blah, blah. Right. Right, right, right. I see. Yeah. So. Okay. The, um, another interesting example is while we're recording this in the last couple of weeks, there's been this whole face app, which controversy yeah. was where you yeah. upload a picture to the app. It shows what you might look like when you're older. And now what's come out is that people were basically agreeing because the terms in that app said the app now can basically do anything it wants with that picture. Oh, by the way, the app is owned by a Russian company but the data is held in the United States. And so there's all this discussion over why would anyone do that? You should delete your data. You've just given your data over to this company to do anything at once. You have Russia and United States. It's this very fascinating privacy challenge. 
But that's kind of an example. Most people uploaded their picture because they thought it would be fun. They weren't thinking, oh my gosh, this app is going to use it for something else. <laughs> but that's what happened. So it's now you're going to have all those people kind of mad, potentially, that I don't want right. you to use my picture for something else. I, I just, and that's a, a bit of a perfect example of the privacy considerations and how now that face app might not want to have been open when have right it, it might have some other ideas but for most businesses you want your customers to be happy and understand so in that scenario you would say here's what we're going to do thanks for participating in this we keep it free because we do x y and z with it if you don't like that right don't use it but here's what we're going to do. So you're completely in the clear. And, and it feels to me like, so an issue was created of something that might happen, not that the company was doing something with those pictures, but that they could yes. because of the terms of service, right? Exactly. Yeah. We don't know what yeah. they will or won't do with it. Um, I did not right. one because I didn't trust it. And two, I don't really want to know what I'm going to look like then. So I, I just, know me either. <laughs> I don't want, I just, I don't want that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I don't want to know what's going to happen and I don't want to know what it's going to look like. I know. Exactly. I really, I want nothing to do with that. So I'm not part of that process, but um, yes, that's exactly what you had said. What happened? Yeah, that's interesting. Cause I feel like one of the things that, that I'm hearing that I think business owners need to be aware of is you, you have the, um, on some level, you have to look at it and say, what could, what could I possibly do with this data so I can be sure people know I'm not going to do it because th there's people out there thinking uh, they're sort of paranoid. So I may never think of, like, like I look at mine. Okay, I, I gather people's email addresses and I send out an e-newsletter. I don't, and then I have billing software, but I don't do anything else. And when I go speak and I do a giveaway, when I take people's business cards, I tell them they can take them back after I do the giveaway because I'm not going to do anything with them. Like I'll throw them away. But because I wouldn't consider doing something else with people's data, but that doesn't mean that someone else isn't going to think that I'm doing something with their data. Exactly. Um, so when you, hand the card back to them, that's your way of communicating. So imagine what would happen in an in a online setting. I hand you my email address for entry into a contest. A lot of times now it's, that's often used as a lead magnet to build an email. Right. So now I'm going right. to build my email list. Well, maybe I'm going to share my email list over here with somebody else. Or maybe you have a joint venture and you know, we're, two people are going to do the giveaway. Now, both people have the email list, but is that clear? Maybe the right. person thought the site I was on to give it to you, I give it. So those are all the scenarios of, well, who's actually going to an email address? And are you going to just keep it or are you going to share it with someone else? In the physical world, it's really easy. I can literally hand you the business card back. I don't have it anymore. But right. when you take that business card and it goes online in its little fiefdom of this email bucket for your giveaway, because imagine, right, we did it in this little virtual world. Well, now what happens when, like, does it stay there? Does it go? The person can't see what happens with the technology. The point yeah. of these notices is to communicate in English 
here's what happens with it. Now, it's not about writing every single possible nuanced scenario you could ever imagine. It's meant to be you know, a, a, a solid understanding of our values and how we're using, using data, which is, it's hard to write these notices because they're supposed to be detailed and short and concise all at the same time. <laughs> so, yeah, that sounds a little tricky to me. <laughs> it is. It's very hard to try and make all of that work, but it, with the and, and the idea is also, you know, I think for a long time they were very they were written by lawyers and ex, and it is a, a bit of a legal document in some extent, and it, it's it can be very hard to read. So the movement has been to make these really easy to understand, so that the common person has a sense of what is really happening and all these laws kind of keep saying this has to be disclosed and this has to be disclosed which is why they get to be so long so what we're also seeing is, is some like creative ways so maybe you kind of do a summary up at the top i've seen visual boxes um you know different colors i've seen just really trying to use visuals to help guide someone through understanding what's happening Oh, that makes sense. Yep, and hyperlinks, and you know, different businesses are, are doing different things, but it's uh, it all boils down to having an honest, open conversation. And in a physical environment, it's really easy for us to be able to do that, but not so much in a digital sense. Um, and even I think back to my catalogs. You know, that's like kind of physical, kind of not, right? I buy something from a catalog. Uh, maybe I buy it online, and they keep sharing it with everybody else. So now I get right. a lot of catalogs. Right. Right. It's that, that's, that's a very strange um, phenomenon. I know. And, <laughs> it, and it makes it difficult to opt out. They're, they're, yeah. They make it super difficult to opt out, which then just makes me kind of mad. So right. if we think about how is that creating a strong relationship? It's not, I'm kind of mad at you. I'm not going to be as excited to buy from you. If instead, if you made it really easy, because maybe I don't want to kill trees, so maybe I'll get your emails as opposed to this catalog I never want, right? There's all different yeah. kinds of ways to have built this relationship, which is, I think you might be interested in this. I heard about it over here. Here's how I heard about it. GDPR actually would tell you you have to do that part. Um, and it's all in the eyes of being transparent and honest with your customers. Wow. And building relationships. Wow, that's okay. Um, I, I love this. I so appreciate you sharing this information because this really is something that feels like just came on the landscape in the past couple of years. And there's GDPR. I think a lot of people think, well, that's Europe. It, it doesn't impact the United States. But as you say, if you work globally, it does. And then in California, if you're selling to people in California, it's the same thing. So it, it, it absolutely wow. is. And, and the other thing is, is, you know, sometimes people don't know that it's only California. And then if you kind of say, oh, it's only for the EU people or only for the California people, it's, you know, sometimes there's a business decision to, to need to do it that way. Other times there's been businesses who have made a decision to just extend this to everybody and not segregate by country because it's easier right. for them operationally and they just feel like that's the right thing to do. I remember one company sending me an email that said, we believe in, in privacy, we're extending GDPR rights to all of our users globally and this is a, a big company that everyone would know. Wow, 
It's so smart. And doesn't it make it easier for the company to do that than to try and figure out? It can. I, I mean, some companies will say, well, gosh, I might, I might lose people. I might, this might be more challenging uh -huh. for me. I, I might have a smaller list or a smaller pool. And the company made the decision because one, they feel like it is easier. It's just too hard to distinguish. Well, you're from Europe and you're from not. And so we're going to you know, cast you over here. That's too hard right. to even train their field reps and, and, and all the customer service folks to be able to manage that. But further, they really are taking a valued stand position on privacy is important. This is your data. We're here to serve you. It's kind of the idea of the customer is right. It's that whole philosophy of, of yeah. trying to manage it from that point of view. Yeah, right. Yeah, it makes perfect sense to me. Yep. This is... So great. I, I, Jody, I really appreciate this information. Will you tell the listeners um, about, uh, you know, give us, give us a, an overview of what you do with companies and how people can find you, please? Absolutely. Well, first off, it's been a pleasure to be here and, and thank you so much. I think privacy is new and it's a significant amount of, of understanding and education to figure out how does it apply to your business. So thank you, everyone. Um, for listening and, and really appreciate the opportunity, Diane, to be on the show. I help companies comply with these laws, or again, where there is no law, helping you think about what's the right data strategy for you. It might be a data analysis um, or gap analysis that might I help you actually do those data inventories, write privacy notices, figure out how you do the individual rights. And I also serve as a fractional privacy officer uh, for small businesses. And there's multiple ways to find me. We have a special website set up here at redcloveradvisors.com slash A-Y-B-G for Accelerate Your Business Growth. Um, you can find Red Clover Advisors at Facebook, on LinkedIn. Um, super easy for, for you to find me, and we'd be delighted to answer any questions you have. That's so great. Thank you so much for that. Uh, folks, listen, do yourselves a favor and uh, get in touch with uh, Jody and, and her folks. This is the kind of thing that you want to make sure you're doing right the first time, every time, um, and, and it matters. It's, it's, for me, it's one of those things that you don't want to have to think about it, so go ahead and take care of it and set up your system so that you're not blindsided by something that you weren't expecting. Um, you know, coming out of nowhere. So uh, once again, Jody, thank you. Listeners, thank you. Uh, I would also like to thank our sponsor, audible.com. To uh, get a free trial of audible.com as well as a free audiobook, just go to audibletrial.com slash business growth to sign up. As always, continue to prosper and be curious. And until we meet again on another episode of Accelerate Your Business Growth, Goodbye and good day. Imagine how fast we could solve the world's biggest problems if more SaaS startups would gain traction sooner. Welcome to the Tech Entrepreneur on a Mission podcast. This podcast is dedicated to sharing experiences from B2B SaaS CEOs who are going above and beyond to deliver change that is noticed. You will hear their secrets and learn what is required to build a SaaS business that the world starts talking about and keeps talking about and how to overcome the roadblocks to do so.